You better watch out. You better watch out. You better watch out. You better watch out. Jeff and George are coming to town. <laughs> now you know why I'm not a singer. I, I don't know what just happened, but it made me very happy. in depth how you doing everybody i'm george how you doing everybody i'm not george i'm jeff well i'm happy about that <laughs> you're happy that i'm not george I'm, i guess yeah. i'm happy i'm i'm happy to be me how's that i'm happy you're you too man oh thank you i'm happy you're you oh god it's good to be back doing this you know for anyone who uh isn't a patreon member who missed the uh, the secret updates we do um we recorded episode five the original episode five Probably what, like a month, a month and a half ago, a long time ago, yep. and um, due due to technical glitches, the episode was unusable, and we've been scrambling to re-record it ever since. And we have a special guest that we're keeping secret, who's in that episode and coordinating times and recording and all that has been complicated. So we decided to George decided it would be a cool idea to do this little micro episode in between, just to keep the fun going because we really miss doing this. So this is um. George, do you want to explain the episode? I'm doing all the talking. Well, you know, I, I, I kind of came up with, since this is uh, the weekend right after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. the next holiday is Christmas, so I figured let's talk about some Christmas stories or stories that make you feel Christmassy or positive or that kind of vibe. So let's just talk about any funny books, comic books that fit that mode, that have Santa Claus or don't have Santa Claus or whatever holiday you, you, you observe. George, you make me feel Christmassy. Ho, ho, ho. Did you just call me a hoe? <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, ah, it's, it's a funny thing. Um, this is my favorite time of year by far. In fact, I'm a little worried my energy is going to be too low because I get so chill and content for the, uh, the holiday season. Plus, I'm, like, completely stuffed full of leftover Thanksgiving turkey right now. So I'm in, like, the most chill vibe possible. And it, it, it's funny. Um, just a little, maybe too much background on me. Um, I was raised Jewish. Um, and yet, I can't get enough of this season. I, I think there's a, there's a religious Christmas. And there's very much a secular Christmas as well. So, I mean, you know, you celebrate the birth of Jesus if you're, if you're a Christian. You do Midnight Mass, maybe, which is a beautiful thing. I've been there. I love it. Um, but there's also a Christmas that is just a time of year for everybody during the darkest months to celebrate kindness and peace and bring out the best of us and enjoy and comfort and exuberance. And I'm here for it. I mean, I also, I, I do have kids who are, who were raised with two faiths. So, you know, we observe Christmas anyway, but I am the biggest darn fan of Christmas there is. And, um, so I want to be clear, this podcast certainly isn't a Christian podcast. We're here for everybody. But I also think Christmas is here for everybody, too. So I, I hope uh, no one is offended with the idea that we're doing, a, you know, sort of Christmassy holiday specials. And we'd include Hanukkah, too, if there were any good Hanukkah specials. I, I've, I've read a few Hanukkah comics, and I've, I've there's probably a Ben Grimm one out there I haven't read somewhere that's awesome. But the ones I've read were very eh. So, uh, you know, Christmas specials I, it is, it right? On, <laughs> it only took him like 50 years to make Ben Grimm Jewish, so... Was he... I thought he was Jewish in the beginning. He wasn't? They, ne- they never mentioned it. That's... I didn't mention it, like, after the 2000s or something. Well, that's surprising to me because, like, you know, when um, when Stan and Jack did um, Sergeant Fury, they had a, a very... They never outright said it, but they heavily suggested that Izzy was a Jewish character. So I assume Ben Grimm being Jewish might have been something they threw in in the beginning, too, because... Obviously, both of them were Jewish. Well, you know what? Kurt would know this. Kurt, paging Kurt. <laughs> that knows everything. Hey, that reminds me, by the way, quick plug. If you are here for, uh, you know, Christmas and you like countdowns, boy, you need to be checking out the uh, CCF's 12 Days of Classic Comics Christmas that uh, Kurt runs. Uh, we've been doing it for 19 years now. And uh, this year's topic is uh, spinoff titles. 
looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. So don't forget to check out ClassicComics.org and the 12 Days of Classic Comics Christmas. You won't regret it. You know, I never miss it. And I, and I tell you something that's really nice, too. There's people that are members of the forum that never come to the forum except in December to do this one thing, which is kind of nice. It's, it's like everybody coming home. It feels like old family visiting. I agree with you on that one. That's right. It is nice. You know, it's forum involvement comes and goes. You know, there are, there are years where you are reading comics all the time. You got to talk comics all the time. And there are years where other things take priority. But I think it's nice the CCF always is a home people can come back to. And the 12 Days of Classic Comics Christmas is that event that uh, sort of leaves a light on and, and, and sends out the beacon and tells people, come on back. We'd love to see you again. Jeff, there's some really nice people in the forum. I mean, you know, that's, that's a weird thing to say on the Internet, but there's some people that you'll make friends with and you'll be friends with for years. Matter of fact, you know, you and I are friends. Yeah. Never met in person yet, have we? No, but I think I know what you look like, <laughs> unless you're catfishing me. I, I've been sending you pictures of Japanese models for years now. I'm sorry. It's about time you knew. You, you're not Japanese? All right. So um, what we're doing, we probably should have explained by now, is we're, um, we did a top five for Halloween. This is our top five favorite stories to revisit during the Christmas season. And they don't necessarily have to be about Christmas, but they have to have a sort of Christmas vibe to them. And uh, I had a lot of fun rereading for this, George. I know you did, too. I can't wait to get into it. Let's get into it, then. All right. You want to go first with your number five? Okay. Number five for me is DC Comics Presents 67. Superman teams up with Santa Claus. What? That's awesome. It had to happen because you demanded it. (laughs) Nobody demanded it. I would would have demanded if I thought to demand (laughs) it. (laughs) All right. So, very quick. It starts with... A kid holding up Santa Claus in like like in a in, in one of those you know the Salvation Army things, mm-hmm. and Superman happens upon, and he shoots Superman with like a laser, <laughs> like this this is not just a regular toy, it's like a laser thing. So Superman says something's wrong. He takes the kid to the Fortress of Solitude and, and hypnotizes him to finding out what actually happened. Wait, he turns just, out he took a kid to his private Fortress of Solitude and hypnotized him. You know, I didn't think about that, but yes, he did. Oh my. <laughs> Without the parents' permission. These were different times. Wow. But anyway, so he takes him to the forces of solitude. You know, he hypnotizes him, and he finds out that he he, he found that toy in his in his closet. You know how kids look for, like, toys that are wrapped already. They, yeah, they, they can't sure. wait till Christmas. Well, he found that, and it turns out it had some kind of hypnotic suggestion that made him go rob places. So... Superman kind of deduces that Toy Man's behind it. So on his way, flying the kid back from from uh, from the Fortress of Solitude, the kid shoots him with the with, with uh, the toy gun that's still, I guess, active. And Superman goes down and is in the snow, like totally out. And at this point, Superman looks like he has his powers are gone. The kid is gonna freeze because it's you know it's out there, you know, in the fortress. And along come elves. <laughs> yes, elves. <laughs> and they help him. This story is and, getting and, better. And, and, yeah, I mean, you know, look, once I said Santa Claus, then you know there had to be a tip-off. But anyway, so they, they, take, they take Superman and the kid to Santa's uh, 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 workshop. And Santa says, well, I know who, where, where he's located. And as how would you know that? He says, well, you know, I... I see everything. I know when you're sleeping. I know when you're awake. You know the whole thing. So you actually see, like in Santa's workshop, there's like a like a video room, and you can see everywhere, everybody, everybody's home and whatever. I mean, yeah, I didn't think about it. It's getting creepier as this, it goes. Wow, seriously. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, look, he sees you when you're sleeping, right? Come on, man. So anyway, it turns out, Toy Man put in his toy stores, which he owns, all these weapons. And he put them to, 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 to be sold, and they're going all over. So anyway, they go to find, they go to one of the toy stores. They confront Toy Man, and Superman's still beat up because apparently he was shot. When that toy shot him, it shot him with some white dwarf. I think that's, uh, that's an atom thing. You know, the atom, it, it, it makes you heavy or something or some pseudo comic science. Anyway, so he's not all he is. So, so Santa Claus sends in toys. To, to get up and start fighting against uh, the, the, the opponents that Superman has. And 
it goes along that way, and you find that it captures Hoi Man. Everything is restored, and um, and you know he's everything's good. And and it's interesting because you know Superman's thinking about this Santa Claus and saying the whole the whole toy um, thing reminds him of Krypton. It has show a scene of him as a kid in Krypton, and he's playing with this uh, toy that it, it makes his uh, thoughts become like a video in front of him. And you know it was like a toy he had as a kid. So anyway, they they uh, they defeat Toy Man, and as, as Santa Claus is flying thing back to uh, the Fortress of Solitude, he again gets shot by by the kid's uh, toy. Oh my God! And I know <laughs> this time he wakes up in the snow, and the kid is above him, and he says, "What happened? What am I doing?" He says, "I don't know, Superman. You know, you just you, you got hit with this toy and you went down." And he says, "Well, because." What, what's all this about Santa Claus? Did that really happen? He goes, I, I, I can't believe that there's a Santa Claus. He goes, and the kid says, I believe it's Santa Claus. So, so anyway, uh-huh. yeah, he takes the kid. He actually takes the kid to his home. And when he, when the, uh, Superman goes back to where he lives, not the fortress, like where Clark Kent lives. Yeah. He comes. He, he he starts to undress and he takes out a toy that's that was hidden inside of his cape, and it's a very toy he had in Krypton. Oh, that's the way the story ends. Yeah, that's adorable. It's interesting because Santa Claus is like more powerful than Superman. Right. (laughs) I mean, maybe you could throw you could say magic. Well, I mean, isn't that one of the issues always when you're dealing with a a shared universe where you have characters from another planet? You know, always, you know, is it the same God on each planet? And is it the same Santa Claus? So apparently in this case, this Santa Claus visits every planet and gives gifts to good children. Well, I tell you this, I do have a, a tinfoil hat theory about that. Okay, bring it on. Tinfoil hat theory. Santa Claus, Mixaplex, and and the other one, uh, what's the other imp from the other universe? Impossible Man. They're all one and the same. <laughs> Definitely Impossible Man and, and Mixaplex for sure. Santa Claus, that's interesting. Santa Claus. Santa Claus too, because he has all the magical powers that allows him to do anything. He just thinks about it. He does it. Wow. He could travel a whole world. He could travel a whole world in one night. So, like once a year, he's not like a maniac. He's just like really, really kind. Yes. Okay. The two, the two imps turn into Santa Claus for for one for one that, that time of the year. I would read that story. Somebody out there, write that story. Jeff would read it. I hate to admit it. I'm not often one to praise the man, but this is a story that John Byrne would be perfect for. I didn't say anybody gets raped in the story. (laughs) I guess I shouldn't have said that. Well, you do have Superman taking this underage boy back to the Fortress of Solitude and hypnotizing him, so who is to say? You know, these stories... It helps not to look too closely at them. You got to wonder that there had to have been some kid reading that in the 1970s when it came out who was then terrified for the rest of his life ever to go look for his Christmas presents early because they just might be, you know, designed by the toy man. Don't let this happen to you. (laughs) Some poor kid Christmas Day was like, no, you unwrapped them for me. Okay, Jeff, that's enough for that. What's your number five? DC Comics, Breaking Children's Psyche since 1970. Okay, my number five. Um, I'm going to go, um, you know, I, I I, know I set the bar for like thinking outside the box, but this one really is not outside the box at all. Um, it's one I think that most people know and have read, although they might not have thought of it for a Christmas story, but it really is one. Um, and it's um, Eastman and Laird's uh, Leonardo Standalone number one issue from 1986. Um, that was part of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when after issue number nine, I think it was, um, each character got their own little one issue one shot. And um, Leonardo's is, um, it's Christmas and you're watching the other three turtles um, sort of decorate, you know, April's apartment and get in the Christmas festivities. And Leonardo's out there being serious as he does. And he is getting his butt kicked by the Foot Clan and discovers that Shredder has returned. And it's important to me for a couple of reasons. If you go back and read the original Ninja Turtles comic, not the one based on the cartoon, but the original, original one, it's a really uneven series. And after the first issue, the series doesn't really have a path. It's kind of all over the place. And then Leonardo number one and Ninja Turtles number 10 and number 11 
that three issue storyline is the best story they did for years and years and years afterwards. And um, it was it ended up being the best part of the Ninja Turtles movie from 1990, I think it was. It, they they took it almost directly, and it's it's a really powerful story because you've got this contrast going on between you know the innocence, heartwarming comfort of Christmas and this you can't ever let down your guard. You know, it, it was the Ninja Turtles was wacky and fun after that first issue when they killed Shredder, and then suddenly it it wasn't fun anymore. It was it was dark. It was gritty. It was more real that your enemies can show up at any given time and you can never let down your guard and it was insanely powerful um it, it's not heartwarming in the least but um i think if it hadn't been on christmas it almost wouldn't have been as upsetting um as emotionally powerful to watch leonardo get beaten nearly to death and have the ninja turtles um you know attacked in april's apartment trashed and everything devastated by this enemy that had come back when they least expected it so is this like the diehard of comic books where they, they put a Christmas tree in, but it's not really a Christmas story? Okay, you can't judge me on this one. I've still never seen Die Hard. <laughs> where did I go wrong? I know, I know. I I have no excuse. I need to see it. I know this. I, I think Christmas does play an important part in the story. I think the heartwarming lets you let down your defenses mm. and therefore makes it more devastating as a result. Um. Yeah. Why do I pull it out during yeah. Christmas? I think just I think it just reminds me of it, and then I have to read the whole three issues, and then I end up reading more Ninja Turtles, and I wow. get sucked back into it. It's um, I mean, if you want a fun Ninja Turtles story, the Michelangelo standalone is is a much more fun Christmas story. The Leonardo one feels a lot more like Leonardo. It's more it's more serious. It's more dark. But um, so am I. And so you know, I, I, I salute you as a, tinge, a, a Ninja Turtle fan because I, I just it never did anything for me. But I mean, I, to be fair, I only think of them like as a cartoony eat the pizza thing. You know, I, I, I wouldn't the serious stories that they started with. I, I don't really know anything about that. You know, it's partially a myth that the comics were way more serious after the first issue. It, it's a wacky comic right off the bat. And it never really found a consistent direction until way later on. But um, I the, I think the power of it, other than the fact that I was there at the time and I was collecting the toys and, you know, I was caught up in that turtle mania because that was, I was seven when the cartoon came mm. out. But beyond that, too, I, I think the four basic characters capture four basic personality types that apply to all people. You know, you either are Leonardo or Donatello or Michelangelo or Raphael. And that's a lot of why it endures. I actually... It's, it's weird. You can look at most um, four-person groups in popular media and find the same personality types amongst them. But Ninja Turtles was the one that my generation claimed. Sounds cool to me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay, well, I'll move on to number four real quickly. Okay. Uh, it's Superman 64, February 1992. You're a pretty big Superman fan, so I'm pretty sure you read this. It, it's uh, it's a story that centers around the one time a year where Superman, he actually sits down and reads all the letters sent to him throughout the whole year. And a lot of the letters are from people that need money or they need something. There's a portion of the letters that are just want to exploit Superman and, you know, let's start a business together and we can make a millions by you doing this. And whatever, you know, people trying to take advantage. But there's other people that are with heartfelt problems. There's one... one uh, one person that, that writes to him that says that she survived Auschwitz and that she just discovered a sister is alive in East Germany. And if there's any way that she can see him or whatever, and Superman arranges, goes to the house, arranges for her, her to go to there in a flight. And it's kind of funny. He gets her, he gets her uh, a, you know, they, they arrange passports and flight. And I just think for a second, well, I mean, can't you just fly her there? Although she's like a, like an old lady, so I'm thinking, well, maybe that doesn't work. So you know, you yeah, that might not go well in the heart. <laughs> yeah, she might. You might land in East Germany; she'll be dead. So that doesn't work. So, but anyway, yeah, I brought they brought your sister. Oh darn, she's dead. Sorry, <laughs> oh, about this that. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so he he helps her with that. There's another letter he opens as, as a kid. He draws a, a a picture of Superman and says. My father has a brain tumor. Can you please help me come come and help us? Can you operate on him? I know you can do anything, Superman. And he actually goes to the to the location and he finds out that the the the, the father just died. 
and and I mean, just died. He goes to the hospital. The kids there. The the the, the wife is there, and he so gives his condolences. And she's like, "Look, you know, this is a difficult time." And 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 uh, and the kid comes in and starts screaming. I mean, you could have saved them. You know, where were you? You know, I thought you were Superman. And you know, kind of was kind of hard on him. He says, "Superman says that this is like the hardest time of year for him because he has to face." all these people that he really can't help. So, but anyway, before he leaves, he tells the, uh, the woman, you should consider donating, you know, the organs because there's people that can have a chance for life, you know, with, with the organs that your late husband has. And, and he says that because he happened to get another letter before he left from a woman that needed a heart transplant. So, of course, in all Christmas style, she, she, uh, she actually donates the heart and, and the woman lives in, in some other part of the world or part of the country. So, I mean, and, and, and this is all like just life and death stuff. And he, he's in, with Lois Lane reading these letters and it's just, it's pretty terrible. So there's another letter he reads that, that uh, um, Daily Planet, because of budget cuts, they couldn't like put a, a party together for, for poor kids, for the disadvantaged. And Superman, you know, he makes a phone call to Bruce Wayne. He says, hey, can you uh, hook me up with some toys? And and, they, they, and, and of course, Bruce Wayne says, sure. And he calls he calls the department store and he gives him, like, you know, carte blanche to get whatever he needs. And he says, but he wanted to make it special. So he goes to a scientist called Emil. Yeah, Emo, Professor Hamilton. Hamilton, that's, that's the name. Well, anyway, he tells him, look, maybe we can make it extra special. I'll go to a zoo and we can alter these animals and we can find a way to, to actually surprise him. And he does that. He actually he, put, he puts together a sled and he gets two uh, deer and they're flying through the sky. And Superman puts on his total black suit and, and flies the sled. Uh, he's like under the sled in his black suit so he can't be seen. And he lands there and there's a nice meal. And there's toys for everyone. It's a nice little ending at the end. So, you know, I, I kind of like I, I kind of like that he, uh, you know, he he he, uh, he helps these people and he helps these kids, but he realizes, you know, just too many people that he can't help. You know, I mean, it, you know, it's well, a sad Bob, story for Christmas. To you, George. <laughs> I mean, look, you know, yeah, I don't want to be a downer, but you know, there's a lot of people depressed around the holidays too. You know, I, no, I, I think, the reason I was saying bah humbug. Was because this was my number three. Get out of here! No way! I, okay, I, you know, dead serious. I, I figured, this is my number I figured, three. I figured not this one, and there's another one that I figured you might duplicate. This one because I know you're, you're Superman. You're Superman. Yeah. Fan, so well, I, and, and you know, it's the thing is uh, that's Dan Jurgens was every year starting with 1990. Um, you know, once um, John Byrne and and George Perez were no longer in control of the post Christ Superman office. He had tradition every year of doing um, a, a special Christmas issue that, Is that usually right? tackled. Okay. Yeah, uh, the first one was the uh, the homeless for the holidays, where there was um, uh, a, an intern at the Daily Planet who had been secretly living in a supply closet there because she didn't have a home, she couldn't afford one, Yikes. and they addressed that in that issue. And it was it was a powerful story. And then they did one about um, drinking and driving, as well as the issue of euthanasia and rights to die. Then the year afterwards, with funeral for a friend. There's an issue that goes back to the Metropolis mailbag, this story, where now that Superman is dead, the other heroes go and try to answer these letters for Superman because he's not there anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. But no, I, I agree with you. It's it's a downer of an issue. But um, what I love about it, and there's so much I love about it, but um, it captures what I love about the post-Christ Superman so much, that he can do anything, and yet he tortures himself. You know, he wants to help everybody, but he can't. And so he doesn't just choose like the, the four that he can polish off easiest so he can feel good about it. He chooses the ones that are most dire, the ones that need him the most. And that moment where he's standing over that kid explaining, I can't save your dad. Yeah. And he tries he tries to explain, he goes, and this, this was such a powerful moment for me. He says, listen, the, the kid says, you're Superman. He goes, no, no, no. I'm Superman. Man, yeah. I have powers, but I'm still a person deep down inside. And I mean, there was the clearest defining moment for what made the post-Christ Superman different from the pre-Crisis. The pre-Christ Superman was Superman, but this guy was yeah. still a, a, a human being who had powers but couldn't do everything. And 
I mean, my favorite part was just that he still has a superhuman ideal for himself. He wants to help everyone. He wants to save everybody. And Lois watching him torture himself with such love and pity at the same time, it was incredibly powerful. And Jackson Geist doing the art on that one, Butch Geist, I think he calls himself now, uh, yeah. he was incredibly gorgeous. It was it was such a powerful story. And Oh, and by the way, that Batman moment. I love the fact that when Superman calls Wayne Manor, Bruce is standing in front of a fireplace brooding, and Alfred says, he's not taking calls right now, he's too upset. And Bruce and Superman's like, put me through anyway. Like, you know, screw it, Bruce, quit brooding for a moment. People need help. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a nice little touching story. It was dark, though, because, I mean, at the beginning, they walk in, into where like the letter room and it's totally pitch dark yeah and you know they're looking through these letters and it's just like mission impossible oh i I have to add also the person that lets him into that letter room his name is willie fantastic four mailman is willie lumpkin oh i got a feeling that might be a little crossover there happening oh that's official you know going back to impossible man and mitzelplick yeah it's it's all coming together, man. It's all coming together. <laughs> Two other things I love about that issue that are really subtle is one, it's called Metropolis Mailbag, which is the same name as a letter page for Superman, kind of implying almost as if this was real, as if these were the letters that the DC office gets addressed to Superman, which I'm sure probably is not, but it, it added an extra level of reality to it. You know, maybe in a way that the people writing these stories feel like Superman the way they wish they could use this character they have control over to save the world's problems and can't. And I also love the fact that the issue starts with them, with the first person Superman tries to help is a Holocaust survivor. You know, it's a really nice nod that this Christmas story begins by helping Jews. I mean, that was just a really cool, (laughs) inclusive thing to do. Hey, look, everybody, you know, everybody deserves a break. Everybody deserves help. Yeah. he, he He can't reach everybody, so... I guess that's the sad part of the story, but... It's sad, but it's also very positive because he wants to. And seeing that Superman has that desire to truly help everybody, even at the, you know, even at the cost of sacrificing his own happiness, hmm. like that is... It's beautiful. It's comforting. It's it's so wholesome, even while it's dark. Well, you described this story a lot better than I did, so... Oh, that's not true. <laughs> Good man. That's Good man. True. I, I just, I, that was one of the three I thought we might overlap on, and I'm so glad we did because, I mean, all but one of the, of the uh, Jurgen's Christmas stories are amazing, but that is clearly the best of them, and I'm so glad you love it too. Good. So you want to add anything, uh, another uh, story, or you want to just use that as number three? I'll, I'll flip-flop it. We'll make that my number four. I'll move my number, th- my number four up to number three. We'll make it work. Okay. <laughs> all right, so let's hear. Who goes now? You go to number three. Oh. This is the one I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna um, you're gonna duplicate, and I think everyone in the forum okay. loves this story. It's called. Right. Uh, it, it appeared in a comic book called Christmas with the Superheroes Number Two in 1980, uh, 1989. It's by Alan Brenner and Giordano, and the name of it is short "All Acquaintances Be Forgot." Does it ring a bell? So, I don't want to take away your steam. I, I've seen that on a lot of people's lists. I've never read it, so you're gonna oh. tell me about it for the first time. You're going to read it. Well, I won't do it justice, but in essence is this. It's a dead man story. And he's, you know, traveling, of course, the world and can't be touched. And he could only possess people's powers of bodies, but he can't really be part of the world unless he does that. And he does that to two people. He does it to like some kind of a corporate raider. And he abuses him by taking his money and buying things for his friends. (laughs) <laughs> and then, you know, sending bonuses to some employees that he laid off. And then he sees a couple and it looks like Central Park ice skating. And he and he gets in the man's body and he's, just, you know, romancing some uh, woman that's with them. They go to a party and he kind of gets feels guilty. And he says, you know, this is not fair because I'm taking away this guy's life at this point. And, and, and you know, and when I and when I leave his body, he won't remember any of this. So I'm. I'm sort of, you know, depriving him. So he leaves the body. And at that point, he's screaming to the heavens, why does it have to be like this? Why can't I just, when I when my mission was finished, why me? And as he's doing this, this woman says, hey, how you doing? You know, you okay? And he says, am I okay? You know, 
you can see me? He goes, yeah, I can see you. He says, why don't you take off that mask? And he says, what's the the matter? And a dead man tells her, well, you know, I'm in this form. I, I I can't ever, you know, touch anything. No one can see me. No one knows what I've done for them. And, and she sort of like straightens the mouth and says, look, you know, uh, you're doing this for the glory. I mean, you know, what's the problem? You, you, you don't like it because you're not getting recognition. And she and, and she tells him, you know, she kind of tells him off. And, she, and then she tells him this beautiful little passage. And, and he says, I know what you've done for this world. And I know, I, you know, I know that it's important. And she says, and I'm going to read from, from one of the panels. says, we do it because it needs to be done. Because if we don't, no one else will. And we do it even if no one knows what we've done, even if no one knows we exist, even if wow. no one remembers we ever existed. So, he, you know, he, he sees this. It, it, when she tells me, he says, I'm sorry, you know, you're right. And, uh, you know, you know, he, he kind of straightens out, feels guilty about, about, about that. So as he's leaving, he asks her, well, you know, what's your name? He goes, oh, you wouldn't know me. My name, my name is Kara. Supergirl. Wow. Yeah. Oh and my gosh. Yeah. Apparently she's a ghost and can see him as well. Oh my so, God. All right. You, I know. you sold me. You've sold me. I am buying this as soon as we finish recording. You, you got, you got to buy For it. For sure. Yeah. You got, you, wow. you got to read this book. Yeah. It, it's really, it's a beautiful story, beautifully written by Alan Brenner and beautifully drawn by Dick Giordano. And you and said it was 1989, that, right? 1989. So, I wonder how much of that conflict was inspired by Quantum Leap. Do you remember the TV show? I remember, but I didn't really watch it much. I mean, the whole idea is the main character is leaping from um, time to time into different bodies, and he can never go home. And every time that he saves someone's life or fixes it, he thinks this will be the time he gets to go back, and he never does. And I, I don't know. <laughs> kind of seems like it might be that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that man is, you know, when he found his killer, he was supposed to have been free to go to heaven or whatever. And it looks like he's still here, so he got a raw deal. Yeah, but the end nice show that. Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, obviously we just did Crisis, so, you know, the death of Supergirl is still heavy on my mind. Wow, man, well, I'm excited is, well, about that's, that. That's 86. This is 89, so we're talking about three years later. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, just the point, just that line where she says, even if people don't remember we ever existed. Right. Like, Ouch. You know. Wow. But she did that never exist so... in that new... Yeah, it's, it's yeah. very nice. Very nice story. Oh, that's amazing. So what's your number three, sir? What's well, your number not, three? I'm not going to be as good as that now. You kind of set me up for failure. Thanks much. Hey, hey, <laughs> I, I didn't write it, man. I just report the news. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am going way back to uh, 1975 with Creepy, number 68 from Warren Magazine. Um, I'm a big fan of the uh, the Creepy and Eerie and sometimes Vampirella um, horror magazines. Uh, there was a lot of talent in those stories and a lot more than just gore and blood. And a lot of times they would have a theme for the issue. You know, there'd be like um, one issue had this weird drawing on the cover. Everyone had to write a story about it, you know, or there would be a, a fantasy or swords and sorcery issue. They did at least two issues that were all Christmas themed, all Santa themed. Um, mm-hmm. And this is one of them was kind of forgettable. This one is amazing. And I read it every Christmas um, which is weird because it's a horror magazine. It's a little, I, I feel like <laughs> yes, my choices are a little dark and disturbing here. You know, originally I was like, you know, we'll go more heartwarming for Christmas. We got kind of weird during Halloween, you know, loving the, uh, the, the torture porn. That was a specter. You know, be more wholesome now. And I'm totally ruining that. But, um, creepy number 68, um, other than one Doug Mench story that doesn't fit in at all. And there's a reason for that. I won't get into, um, it's essentially written, uh, it, it's, a bunch of stories written by two different authors. Um, Jerry Boudreaux, I think I'm saying correctly, and um, Bud Lewis. And Jerry Boudreaux turns in a bunch of stories, uh, three different stories that are dark but thoughtful and really make you reflect on your life and you know have some real positive messages to them. But Bud Lewis is the one who just takes it home. Uh, he does first a story called A Gentle Takeover. And this is so weird. It's, um, it's a story in the future where Christmas is illegal, and it's this guy who's just so frustrated the Christmas spirit is gone, and he starts a peaceful revolution to bring Christmas back. No death, no violence, nothing whatsoever, and he conquers the world with love. It's not an amazing story, except for the fact that you're reading Creepy Magazine, and there isn't (laughs) a single shred of violence or death 
anywhere in the story. It is as wholesome as wholesome can be, which in itself is disarming and shocking. Wow. And so you, you read this in the, the final frame. You've got this guy dressed as Santa Claus, tearing up full of love. And you're like, I'm reading this and creepy. This is amazing. <laughs> nice. And, and that in itself would have been cool. But the next story, a Christmas, the Christmas visit um, is the same idea. It's this, um, it's this bartender or, or maybe he's a, he's the bar owner and he's very jaded and miserable. And this well-dressed gentleman just comes into the bar and starts talking to him and they hit it off and it kind of becomes obvious to the reader way earlier than the character figures it out that this guy is Jesus and he's Mm. come back to help this guy rediscover his Christmas spirit. And it's beautifully drawn um, by Isidre Monés. I I guess he's uh, he's one of the Spanish uh, illustrators from that time period who I don't know very well, but it's beautiful illustrations and it's it's touching. It's sweet. It's. It's not unusual. It's the kind of story you've seen a million times where, like, you know, a ghost or, you know, Santa or someone shows up to teach a Grinch how to love life again and love the Christmas spirit. And you're thinking, wow, you know, two stories in a row full of wholesomeness. And you just sort of completely relax in the way that any great horror story does to you. And then in the (laughs) final, final freaking panel. Here it comes. As the main character is walking off smiling and full of the Christmas spirit. Two guys jump Jesus and murder him for his wallet. Holy crap. Right? <laughs> it's so twisted. And it's it, it totally got me. And like, you know, is the, you know, you can debate then. What is the message? Is the message that the world has become too corrupt and too dark? Is the message that keep believing even in spite of it? Or is Bud Lewis just trying to screw with us? It's probably the last one. But it's um, it, it's a really powerful story. I never get tired of rereading. It's a, it's a horror book, so, I mean, you have to have a little horror in, in somewhere in that book. Well, he faked us out. The previous one had no horror in it at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one, the last one, he doesn't even try to fake us out. It's so messed up. It's this um, husband who is just miserable with his life. And um, his wife, who's um, this, this very superstitious Irish woman, still believes in leaving out milk for the fairies and the spirits and all that on Christmas Eve. He chugs the milk and puts in brandy instead and gets visited by a drunk Christmas gnome. (laughs) And the two of them (laughs) hit it off and become best buddies. And it's the most adorable bromance ever. The two of them go fishing (laughs) together. And this this Christmas gnome who's drunk off his ass and this, you know, bored, miserable, married man just living life together and loving it and concocting a plan to murder his wife who he doesn't love anymore. And there's no Naturally. moral. Yeah, there's there is no moral. There's no sense of of karmic justice or right or wrong. It is just two guys totally platonically loving each other and planning a murder that's completely unreasonable. And that's the whole story. <laughs> so I mean, did they kill the woman? Did they kill the wife? Yeah, yeah, they totally do. Oh. <laughs> and she didn't. And then you know, the, we never even meet her. We never even given reason why she deserves it. It's just you know. It's feeding into that idea that you know, I think some married men, especially in the age before divorce was popular, had that, uh, you know, gee, I'd just like to get rid of my wife and go fishing. It's dark. It's messed <laughs> up. It's it's a message I don't support at all. I'm totally, kids at home, please don't do this. Don't do this. They'll try this at home. But, yeah, you know, it is called it is called eerie. Yeah. Creepy in this case, but yeah. <laughs> You're not reading Archie. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Plot twist. Nice. It's actually Archie murdering Betty. <laughs> you know, Jeff, I'm a little concerned. You pull, these are the books you pull out around the Christmas time? Mm. Uh, don't worry, I'll get more wholesome. Superman was on the list. He was. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't even... I, the, the, it's demented. But it's adorable <laughs> and cute in spite of it. It's just... You have to ignore how incredibly wrong the ending is. Oh, to ignore. <laughs> With all the it's bodies. A, it's okay to worry about me, George. It's okay. <laughs> Those bodies are piling up, man. <laughs> Dad, what are you reading for Christmas? Well, let me tell you, honey. <laughs> well, we're, we're flying along, so let me give you a number two. <laughs> All right, let's hear your number two, my friend. All right, number two, I think a, it's, a lot of people have seen, uh, heard of this story. It's called uh, it's Batman 239, February 1972. The name of it is called Silent Night, Deadly Night by Denny O'Neill, Irv Novick, and Dick Giordano. In a nutshell, 
somebody beating up Santas and mugging them, right? And and so Batman comes upon the scene. He gets he he, he tracks the guy down. It turns out he just got laid off from his uh, his job a couple of months ago, and he has a niece that he's taking care of because the the parents died, and it's just him and the niece. They're broke. He has no money, and the person that 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 uh. Closed, he worked in a, fact, a toy factory, and they closed the toy factory. He didn't get another job because he kept waiting to get called back. So they never called him back, and now he's desperate, and he's mugging uh, a Santa's just to get any kind of money to uh, give his niece some kind of Christmas. So Batman, you know, grabs him, and he says, okay, you know, uh, you know, I don't believe your story or whatever. And, but he goes, come on, come on, I'll show you. And he takes, he takes Batman to where he lives. And it's a place of squalor, and he sees the niece, and he comes out, and and while Batman's talking to the niece, he tells him, well, um, you know, you can't keep doing this, and you know, you, you blame everybody, but you, maybe you should be blaming the person that laid you off. And he goes, oh, maybe you're right. And while Batman's turned, the guy picks up, uh, he picks up a lamp and smashes Batman in the head. Okay, yeah. This is this is the time where Batman got beat up like often, you know. Not, now no one can even punch him. But anyway, so he wakes up a couple of hours later, uh, chained to like a, a radiator, old time radiator, and the kid's there. And it turns out, you know, he asks the kid, "Please let me out. Your your, your uncle's gonna do something bad." And she says, "Well, you know, I, I, I'm loyal to my uncle. I love him, and I'm not gonna disobey him." So Batman, you know, of course he's an escape artist, so he gets out. And he's ready to track uh, the, the person's name is Tim. He's ready to track Tim because he knows he's going to where the, the uh, his old boss lives. And the the kid turns around and says, "Well, are you going to leave me here alone?" And and Batman's like, "Oh, okay, come, I'll take you with me." Which I'm thinking, which I'm thinking, hold on. First of all, Tim left you alone to go mug Santa's, so now you're afraid to be alone. I don't get it. Plus, Batman's going to take it to a... I know, Batman's going to take it to a possible crime scene. I don't know. It, it gets weird. So anyway, Batman... didn't take her back to the Batcave and hypnotize her, right? That's Superman's thing. But anyway, <laughs> he, he put, they get in a Batmobile, but it turns out it's such a big snowstorm that they get stuck. So like they're in the middle of nowhere, halfway to, to where the, the, uh, the factory owner lives. And and they're thinking this, we're gonna freeze to death here. This, I don't know what what is gonna happen. And they turn around and it's a sled with a reindeer there. <laughs> so they get on the sled and it takes them to to uh to where the factory owner lives. And it turns out in the meanwhile, the Tim guy busted in and he went to attack him and he starts grabbing him and and the old man starts screaming, ah, oh, help me, help me. And when Batman finally gets there. Tim is carrying the old man out the front door in his arms. And Batman says, oh, you're going you're to die for this. You're going to go to jail for this. He goes, no, no, no. The guy's sick. I'm trying to take him to the hospital. And, and then the old man, you know, gains consciousness. Oh, it's my heart. I, I, I feel sick. I don't feel good, whatever. So they get in the, in the, in the sled with the reindeer. They go to the hospital. And he survives. And the nurse comes out and says, if he didn't come here just this time, he wouldn't have survived this. So Batman, wow. Batman looks and he says, you know, well, um, look, I guess you were trying to help him, but you still have to pay for what you've done. I guess he's referring to the muggings of the Santa Claus. And he says, yeah, but can I just, you know, just have one last, one last night with my niece? She has no one else to, nowhere else to go. And he says, okay. And Batman gives him like a pile of money. He says, here, you know, get her a nice Christmas, but you know, you'll have to answer for this, you know. I get you like you know after after the holidays something like that, and 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 as he's leaving, you know Batman says you know I, he's alone and he's looking up and he says well you know this is crazy this is a miracle I don't even know how how that sled was there because when he looks when they go to to go to the sled it's gone it's disappeared, and it, and and he looks up in the sky and says you know what I think I know how, wow, so, yeah it was That's kind beautiful. of a nice ending but there was a few there was a few little logic leaps there but you know. It's funny, I, and I mentioned to you before we started recording that um, after I made my list, I sort of scoured the web to see what other people have ranked as their favorite Christmas stories. And it seems mm -hmm. like you can figure out exactly what kind of a Batman fan somebody is by which Batman story made their list. Because half the list had this story on it, and I see why. And the other half yeah. had Sleigh Ride, 
which was um, post-crisis Batman story where the Joker kidnaps Robin and just starts running over innocent people, pulls up to a drive-thru, shoots the manager point blank, and just is as demented as possible. And it's it's <laughs> it's a good it's a good story. I'm not criticizing it, but it it shows you. You know, what you value in Batman. You know, whether you like sick and demented and dark and brooding, or whether you like some wholesome in your hero. And while I don't have either Batman story on my list, I definitely lean more towards this one. And you did it some great justice. That was that was a great well, explanation. Thank you. It was a different era. Again, you know, Batman got beat up easily. They, he did detective work to track him down. I, I kind of miss that Batman, but, you know, I'm an old fogey, yeah. so what do you want? I just miss a Batman comic that was about heroism and about doing what's right. You know, that that's, we've lost that. And I, I sound like an old fogey in saying that, I know, but it's like, you can only do so much dark and jaded before it just becomes repetitive and senseless. Uh, good luck with that. I mean, it, it looks like DC is only like publishing Batman comic books these days. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's what sells. Yeah. It, it is. And yeah. I anyone listening who loves Slayer Ride, I'm not criticizing you. It's an enjoyable story. I own it. I've read it multiple times. I just, um, I miss the hero in Batman. I really do. Yeah. Anyway, what's your number two? Says the guy who, by the way, is reading stories about murdering wives for Christmas. But anyway, who am I to judge? <laughs> All right. Fortunately, my last two are way more wholesome. Um, hey, right, I like uh, wholesome. Two, yeah. Good. Number two is one of my favorite comics of all time, period. And this one always gets me in trouble because when I read it, it makes me want to read uh, a 200-issue run and spinoffs instead of just reading the individual issue. And that is uh, Uncanny X-Men number 98. Um, well, back then was the all-new, all-different X-Men number 98. Uh, this was very early in, um, in Claremont taking over the X-Men. And um, th the story is, after a bunch of crazy, crazy, crazy stories right off the bat... The team finally has some downtime and it's Christmas. And so they're doing one of my favorite things I miss about New York is they're walking Fifth Avenue around Christmas time and, and just being characters for once. And you see mm -hmm. a Nightcrawler and Colossus clowning around and chasing after girls. You see Scott and Jean share their first ever on-panel kiss while Jack Kirby and Stanley watch from the background and go, they never did that back in our days when we were running the book. And it's just, it's, <laughs> it's heartwarming and fun and wholesome. But it, it also, it, it started a, a couple of things in comics that I think are so important. Uh, for the X-Men, it was the first of many, many times that the X-Men proved that they're between the action stories are their best stories. You know, the ones where they are just characters living and reacting to all they've been through and just trying to live their lives. And it's always fate that gets in the way and, and prevents them from having peace and comfort. But number two, I... Here's my tinfoil hat theory, except that I, I haven't really researched it enough. Tinfoil hat theory. So somebody can probably prove me wrong with one quick example. But this is the first example I know of, of a comic where most of the focus of the issue isn't on action or advancing a plot. Where it's just characters being characters. And you see a lot of that afterwards. The Avengers start doing it. The Fantastic Four does it. And it just, it's... I mean, I guess it's playing upon something that was in Fantastic Four from the beginning on a much smaller scale. But the fact that we can spend, you know, half an issue watching the X-Men just shop in downtown, and that's interesting and that's worthwhile, it really set a tone for comics afterwards that it doesn't have to all be about the action and fighting the bad guy. It can be about watching characters you care about develop and grow. And that's my favorite thing about comics. Well, you know, not so fast as Skippy. Don't they, don't they get attacked by the Sentinels after that? Yeah, they do. That that's that's what I said. Half of the issue. Half of the issue. You know, uh, it is. I I do like when they show um, people in the downtime and the civilian, you know, without their costumes. I mean, who, who's going to be a superhero twenty four seven? You know, right? Well, and you know so, that's the key of the X Men too. It, it, it was the first time we really got reminded of this. They're the only, at the time, the only superheroes in either universe, Marvel or DC, who weren't superheroes by choice. They didn't want to be out there in costumes fighting stuff, but they don't get a chance to do otherwise. Every time they try to live a normal life, the fact that they're mutants causes their lives to be, un you know, turned upside down and unraveled. And the, the Sentinels attacking, kind of like, you know, what I said with Leonardo number one, the, the Foot Clan attacking during Christmas made it all the more tragic. The Sentinels attacking at that exact moment felt so much more unjust and so much more cruel and inhumane because it was Christmas and they were just trying to get into the holiday spirit. You know, I was going to say, 
what, what kind of suffering are they doing? Most of them look like human beings. They could pass for human beings. No one would know anything. And then, you, then, we, <laughs> then you then you wave around a sentinels that could sniff them out no matter what what they look like. So yeah, I guess right. Yeah, <laughs> or you just see all the anti mutant hysteria being targeted at you know one of the mutants who doesn't look normal, you know, and, and just feel bad. I mean, even before the sentinels attack, you know, Nightcrawler is being playful about it, but he's got that image inducer that Tony Stark made for him, where he can cover up what he looks like. And he's trying to yeah. hit on girls. And, you know, on some level, you're realizing how much this sucks for him, that he can't ever totally relax and be himself. Yeah, no one really wants to be with, with somebody they consider, you know, a freak or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. That's a shame. Yeah, but it's 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 a heartwarming issue. I don't, I don't want to undercut it in that way. The second half is a tragedy, but the first half is... It, it's one of my favorite X-Men stories because it just it makes them feel like a family. It's cozy. Nice. Yeah. All right. Ready for your number one? I'm ready for my number one. Bring it, this, sir. This is a series that's so underrated and really is a crime that everyone doesn't love this series. It's called The Hitman. Oh, yeah. And it, and it started It started by it was started by Goss Ennis and John McCreer in the pages of uh, of uh, Demon. The Demon. And I, I got a feeling that's going to make my list this tw in the 12 days this year. But anyway, <laughs> turns out this is issue number 22 by Garth Ennis, John McCrea, Steve Pugh uh, doing the inking. And what happens is the story opens up with a man working in a radioactive, like a waste plant. And he's mopping and he's bitching and moaning about, about people and Christmas and how he hates, hates everyone. And someone walks in, like, as, as he's mopping, somebody walks in. He's, like, mopping in front of this big vat of, I guess, industrial waste. And as somebody walks in with a Santa Claus, hey, ho, 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 and, and, and bumps into him. Oh, and he no. falls into the vat. Yeah, no. he falls into the vat. So they're all, like, <laughs> him and the other people are looking down, horrified, like, oh, my God, we killed him, we killed him. And he comes out of the vat, of course, as a radioactive monster. But his face is sort of falling apart. And he's decaying, so he he promptly kills the people that are laughing, and 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 and, and we're trying to help him, and he puts on the Santa Claus outfit, and he and he goes out to spread terror, I guess, because he hates everybody. So anyway, <laughs> it's interesting. The, the the one little fun part is that the people that own the uh, the industrial plant, they they say they say to themselves, this like, like an owner, and he says to his assistant, is we have to, you know puts the lid on this so we have to remove this problem quietly because you know we've had other violations we don't want to get in trouble so you know put a word out that we want this guy killed and you know taken out of the way and when you look close into the people talking it's actually smithers and mr burns from no Simpsons. yes <laughs> you and your crazy crossovers for this list i love it i'm telling you i love it so it's so a nice little easter egg they threw in there so anyway do you have a theory that Mr. Down. Burns is actually Satan or anything like that? Or, well, we already know he is. So anyway, <laughs> we, they, you take it to a to a bar. It's called Noonan's Bar, and that's where the, the character Tommy, Tommy Monahan uh, uh, hangs out. He's a hitman. He's a hitman, and you know he's an assassin, and that's where they hang out, like you know, like a, a low life place. Mm -hmm. And it, this is actually in, in Gotham City, which is interesting about the series, right? Where Batman does all his business, they have these people in the dark side, you know, the other side of, of Gotham. So anyway, he's there, and he's there with his best friend, this guy named uh, uh, um, uh, Neil, Neil the Hat Walls. He's this big black guy and wears these terrible hats, and they're like best buds. And they're, they're having a beer and bemoaning the fact that they're both broke and that, they, you know, they're gamblers, and they gamble away all their money, and they don't have any money to buy presents for their girlfriends or whoever. And so when they finally get word that, there's, there's, they want a hit on the guy that's in a waste plant, and it's for 10, 10 Gs. So they go out, they they, they, they take the contract, they, they, they pursue the guy, and they end up uh, killing him. And they're, like, celebrating at the end, like, you know, it's a happy, happy Christmas, and it's a Christmas miracle type thing. But the wonderful thing about this story, which makes it really fun, is that Garth Ennis narrates the entire thing in the theme of it was a night before christmas oh okay. and, and it's so awesome and if you let me i want to read the last page please after he shoots the radioactive guy so again this time tommy, tommy monahan and his friend are celebrating they're happy and whatever so this is what it's written he says 
But where's the moral in this, you may cry? Why, sitting in front of your face, I reply. We don't need some moaner who grinches and whines that Christmas is merely a big waste of time. For Christmas is whistle. Christmas goes ping. Christmas makes people feed squirrels and sing. And no matter your race or your class or your creed, isn't that something we all really need? One day in the in, in the year painted up in bright colors, one day when we are groovy and cool to each other? And sure you can grumble, but any who would are missing out on something incredibly good. Anyone bitching and moaning instead might get to in the back of their miserable head. <laughs> God's name, this that is, is a man. That, that's, was there something about eating squirrels in there? <laughs> feeding squirrels, sir. Hey, oh, get in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> I was a little confused. You know, I mean, it, it, just I did it. This hitman, they're like happy, you know. Like, oh, yeah, we killed this guy. We're happy now, you know. It, it kind of reminds me of a Quentin Tarantino movie where you, where these guys are scum, but you get to like them. You know, you get to, to, to enjoy the characters. That's actually really awesome. And I, yeah. I love the fact that you've totally redeemed me now because now you're talking about hitmen and murderers for uh, your first pick. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Oh, boy. It. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, you know, it's you entertaining. You did me a solid on that one. <laughs> It wasn't exactly eerie or creepy, but it'll do. So what's your number one, sir? All right, so my number one, I get to finally redeem myself in this one because I'm going as wholesome as wholesome can be. Um, and this is, I read these, all right, I'll, I'll just get right to it. So it took me until I was in my 30s to realize how much I love humor comics. You know, the really wholesome ones, the the adorable, I went to a comic show recently and bought like um a bunch of like little Lulu comics just because I wanted to see what they were like. Um, I, <laughs> I think nice. as, as life gets more stressful and, and sometimes more dark, you know, that heartwarming simplicity gets more comforting. But I will tell you, as much as I love those kinds of stories, I'm usually very disappointed by their Christmas issues because they don't do anything extra special. It's just the normal comic with like Santa showing up or something. You know, I, I love Archie. But I have yet to read an Archie Christmas comic I really enjoy. I've bought the anthologies and the anthologies and nothing wows me about them. But the one exception to this that really takes it to a whole new level is by far Disney's Christmas comics. Um, so it, not just Carl Barks, though he's the best of them. There's a lot of Disney Christmas stories that are just, there's something extraordinary about them. It, it, it's not Christmas until I sit down and pull out my favorite Disney Christmas stories and reread them again. And I leave them out for everybody else to read, too. So I'm, I'm going to focus on one specifically, my favorite of them. But really, it's a shout-out to um, Walt Disney's Christmas Parade is um, a series that has been reincarnated several times throughout history. I think it originally began in 1947, ran for nine issues, came back in 1962, ran for ten issues, but most of those are reprints, came back again in the 70s, Came back again, I think, in the 90s. Yeah, 80s or 90s. And then my favorite version is the one that started in 2003 that ran for five issues. Just because I think it, it has... It collected some of the best of the best of the best Christmas stories where every single issue, there's something really worth reading. And the first issue from the 2003 series is my absolute favorite. Um, but they're all incredible. And um, it's gotten it... Um, I mean, geez, the, the Bark story in every issue is incredible. This one is one of my favorites. It's called um, Letter to Santa. And the concept, forget the concept. It's both the art and the, the action and the fun of it. Barks can just take a visual and make it magical in a way that my words will never do it justice. So whether you have two giant steam cranes battling each other, um, almost like it's... um. <laughs> Uh, BattleBots with Scrooge and Donald Duck trying to destroy each other's cranes so they can be the one to give the nephews the present they really want for Christmas. Or whether it's uh, <laughs> Donald coming down the flue as Santa and like looking so incredibly dirty and disgusting and uncomfortable and just sneezing and coughing in front of really disappointed kids. Or um, the moment where his, he has beans under his shirt to make him look more fat and they expand from getting wet and somehow, I don't even know how to explain this visual, the chimney explodes and Donald's surprised, miserable look as it's happening is one of the most priceless <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. It's, nice. There's no way I'm going to convince you in words that you need to read this comic, but I just need to assure you that it is not Christmas for me until I read this issue. And, and there's, um, 
There's another one later on by an artist I've never even heard of before. Um, it's called Minnie's Christmas Tree, and we don't know who wrote it. The penciler is a guy named Lee Hooper, who I don't know at all. And it's it's such a stupid concept. It's Goofy and Mickey are in a cabin in the, on a mountain, and it's been taken over by hibernating bears. And it's just page after page of sleepwalking, pathetic hibernating bears showing up where you least <laughs> expect them, and it never stops being funny and adorable. And so... <laughs> Some of the stories in this in the issue are sleepers. You know, do you really care about what Br'er Rabbit is doing? But, um, mm. you know, where Chip and Dale is almost never entertaining, or Pluto. But somehow it's just, it's got two really, really great stories, and the rest is wholesome. So you read it and you just feel comfort and peace. And every issue is like that, where it has a couple of anchors that are incredible, and the rest are good enough. There are two great, I mean, there are at least two great Disney Christmas stories that didn't make it into that anthology. Um, Christmas in Shacktown, yeah. which is the one where um, Donald and Uncle Scrooge and, the, and Huey, Dewey, and Louie go to an actual ghetto and try to bring them Christmas, even though they're dealing with poverty. Um, or Christmas oh. in Bear Mountain, which is the first appearance of Uncle Scrooge. I pull those out too, but man, I when you first suggested this topic, this was the run that I absolutely had to talk about. There's no question Gosh. in my mind. I, I couldn't even pull them out to read them because they are packed away with the Christmas decorations. When I open up the Christmas decorations, <laughs> this is the very first thing that comes out every year. And I have to read it before I do anything else. It is it is so special to me. And for anybody listening who has never once entertained the thought of enjoying a non-superhero comic book, if you start with Walt Disney's Christmas Parade, especially the 2003 edition, you will not be disappointed. And that's a promise for me. Wow. I, I don't think I've ever read a Disney comic book. But, you know, I, uh, June, this past June, I did an overnight and went to a, like a local show in Long Island. And I stopped at a comic shop and they had a whole bunch of Disneys from like the 50s. Oh, wow. And they, were, and they were inexpensive. I, I, 50s and 60s, but they were inexpensive, so I bought them. So I'm going to open them up and see what, if there's anything that, uh, you know, piques my interest. Yeah, I, I, that's that's awesome. I will tell you, there's a there's a huge variety of quality that you'll find in those stories. Um, Carl Barks will never ever disappoint you, um, and yeah. some of the other ones are, are good, and some of the other ones are not. You're going to read some groaners, but um, that's why I, I recommend the Christmas parades. Is I mean, there are always going to be great stories in those, but um, if you have um, some classic Scrooge or Donald Duck or Walt Disney's comics and stories that have Carl Barks in them, you're going to enjoy them. You're going to love them. That's a good recommendation. Well done, sir. Well done. Thanks, and I, I'm glad you picked up those issues. I hope you really end up loving them. I've gotten to a point where I can read any Disney comic and have a great time, but you got to start with the real greats to get into why it's special. Hmm. I just, you know, I've, I've just never read any of the Disney. I mean, I, as a kid, I read Archie, you know, but all these other books that you mentioned, just Disney, dog, dog, you know, ducks, get that, whatever. You know, it, it's they have a great range to them, and I think it's largely because of Carl Barks's influence that they can be intense, they can be intelligent, they can be emotionally powerful and, and deeply imaginative, and also be cute and fun and heartwarming at the same time. For sure, Barks has been mentioned in the same breath of people like Kirby and Eisner, that that type of uh, like like creator, you know, uh, uh, like a just a major creator. That, yeah. Uh, you know, that influence a lot of people. Yeah, I, he both belongs in the same category and does not at the same time. He's he's so different, but his influence is, is every bit as significant. I totally agree with you on that. And it's funny that in other countries, um, you know, Disney comics kind of became the top form of comic of popular comic out there, not superheroes, almost entirely because of Karl Barks' influence. You know, if you go to, uh, wow. you know, most countries in Europe... The Disney comics are a very, very huge deal there. Not yeah. like and here they're not. Yeah, I guess that's that's part of why I, I never really read them. But I, mean, I gotta I gotta give it a try. Yeah, I, well, let me know what you think. I'm very curious. I am picking up um, that Dead Man story for sure. Like I'm going eBay as soon as we're done tonight and getting that thing immediately. Dude, ne never mind eBay. I'm sending it to you. I'll get your address <laughs> after this. Seriously, I'm gonna send it to you. Why not? And Merry Christmas, one and all. <laughs> It's it's George Claus, and I am so happy. Thank you. <laughs> I got to try it to call Barks. Yeah, you know, I, I heard too much about him. Well, I think that wraps us up for tonight. Uh, unless there's anything else that you wanted to cover or say or do. or 
No, man. Uh, you know, it's, it's good to get back together and do this uh, quick uh, podcast about Christmas. And I just hope everyone out there, you know, whatever year you had, whatever bad things happen, look, you know, open up your heart to somebody else. Come, come join us on the forum. Come to one of the Zoom meetings that we have every other week. And we just talk about stupid stuff. You know, sometimes that helps for grown men to talk about comic books and all all the dumb stuff associated with it. That's legitimately beautiful, my friend. It's funny. I've noticed a theme. I've had a lot of people saying that this has been a really, really tough year for them. And I'm not sure why that is. You know, maybe we're still sorting through garbage from 2020 and COVID or, you know, when relationships broke down. Whatever it is, a lot of people have been hurting this year. And that's why I'm glad that we have the CCF, you know, where we have a community where people care. And I love that you do the uh, the weekly Zooms. That's incredible. I'm glad we have this space where you and I get to, you know, talk and joke. And this has been therapy for me when I've had rough days. And I hope people listening along feel like they're part of it because you are. You know, I, I feel like when you and I are talking that there is a third person in the room. And for those of you listening right now, I'm talking to you. And I, I hope that you have a great holiday. And I hope that we've brought you some cheer. Well said, sir. Well said. Well, George, thank you so much. This is, um, man, I love that we do this every time, and I can't wait to do it again next month when we'll finally do our original plan for episode five and have our special guest as well that I'm looking forward to everybody getting to meet. Well done. Okay, everybody, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, and whatever you uh, celebrate, you know, let's have a good time, all right? Sounds like a plan. The CCF In-Depth theme song is written and performed by Paul King. Special thanks to Scott Harris King, creator of the original Classic Comics Forum podcast. A massive shout out to our faithful Patreon supporters, including Bill Sinclair, Marty Golia, Michael Gallagher, Paolo Zicadu, and Tim Schneider. We absolutely could not do this without you, and we appreciate you sticking by us so very much. If you're interested in joining our ranks of Patreon supporters and checking out the really cool section of our website with all the awesome features hidden, Visit us on the web at patreon.com slash the Classic Comics Forum. CCF and Def is produced in partnership with the Classic Comics Forum at classiccomics.org. Come check it out, join the discussion, become part of the family, and definitely check out the 12 days of Classic Comics Christmas. Happy holidays, and we'll see you next month. Comics.org